Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible counselor, Dr. April Brown. Hello, April, and welcome to the show. Oh, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Today, we are going to be talking about bringing intimacy back. And for those that don't know, Dr. April Brown is a licensed mental health Christian counselor, board-certified telemental health provider, national certified counselor, Florida-certified sex therapist, and a qualified clinical supervisor. She has worked in community centers, public schools, university, businesses, and private practice, and has donated her time and services to help out a variety of different mental health, addiction, homeless, and community agencies. In 2018, Dr. April started hosting her own online show called Bringing Intimacy Back, where she and other intimacy experts will provide resources and tips on increasing intimacy in all types of relationships. And this year, in 2021, Dr. April released her first ebook this month called Improving Intimacy. How are you today, April? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. Yes, yes. I can't wait to get into this topic. Yes. Me too. I'm super excited. And before we get into love and intimacy, I'd love to just check in about mental health in general, mainly because right now people are really struggling with isolation and lockdowns and the uncertainty of the future, what's going to be open, what's not going to be. And you've also been working in the field for a long time, since 1998. So I'm wondering, what are some things that you're seeing right now? And what can we do for ourselves to protect and cultivate our mental health? Yes. So with intimacy and mental health, it's connected. So even in the sense of self-intimacy and mental health. So self-intimacy means taking care of yourself. And it's been really hard in this pandemic for us to take care of ourselves. Uh, many of us are feeling isolated, disconnected. A lot of us are have maybe have lost people or jobs or a different celebration occasion. So understanding your mental health, first thing is letting yourself feel, grieving, and that's okay. And it's how you grieve or how you feel, processing those feelings. And sometimes whether you journal it out or whether you, you know, now that things are opening, go back to the gym or even do little small ones at your house, doing something to release all the stress that is happening. A lot of the other part, of course, is there's so much stuff we cannot control, you know? And even with this pandemic or vaccinate or getting vaccinated, a lot of the stuff we cannot control. The only thing we can control is our present moment. So learning how to be mindful, which means being in the present moment without judgment can definitely help you to center yourself. Because in the last, I think, year and a half or two years, we, in a sense, we, since mental health professionals, have 
definitely increasing the number of clients and people that we see because there's much more anxiety because people don't know what to expect. So they're worried. And of course, there's a lot of um, depression because in all honesty, we were born connected with someone in a, in a mother's womb or whatever. And so now with all this, there's been a lot of disconnect. We can't connect with our family, friends, get hugs and touch is so important. So there's more depression. However, now that we're in 2021, things are opening up a little bit. You got to trust yourself to get out. Even if you don't want to get out and be around people, uh, now that most of America is in the spring and summertime, get outside, go for a walk, just get out that house. Absolutely. You know, and that's something that I feel like coming up for a lot of people is that we're like little rabbits or groundhogs that we've like been in our little holes for so long that the idea of going out is anxiety producing a little bit like entering into a different world because we've just changed and gone through so much as a culture. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, um, how can I put it? This whole pandemic, it's like, who do I trust? You know, because you didn't know if I can trust the person next to me to give me the virus or I can trust the news to tell me about what's going on. So now it's that fear. It's that fear like, oh my gosh, but you can't live in fear all your life. Right. Even the other day I was walking down the street and somebody was walking towards me and we both made like, you know, 15 feet between us, like as we pass by on the sidewalk. And I was like, wow, 18 months ago, like if we did this, we would be like, what is with these people? Like, <laughs> what social anxiety and fear are they having of each other? But it's really, it's, it's affected almost every area of our mm -hmm. life. Yes. And realize that as you start to enter back into routine of being around people, that at first it's going to feel a little difficult because your body and, and you may have felt that this past year and a half has been traumatic. And for a lot of us, it has. So just because you feel a little anxious, you got to push yourself a little bit more, continue to do that. So you feel back comfortable. Yeah. I love that phrase that growth happened at the edge of our comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And there are instances that we do have to push ourselves. And I'm curious, like as a counselor, how you do find that balance between kind of pushing somebody to step outside of their comfort zone and then not going to, to the extreme of something like re-traumatization. How do you balance between like being safe and going to the opposite extreme of trauma to that really special like middle path of growth and personal development? So many times it's really just talking it out and rationalizing and coming up what are realistic fears and what are irrational fears. So like you said, just going for a walk outside and if someone were to come close, you can move, you know, so that's different than, well, maybe I'll go to a nightclub, you know, at 12 o'clock at night, you know, where people are dancing and everything. And that's a little bit harder to move. So finding something, and even if it's just a little baby step, is extremely helpful. So let's say you haven't gone to the grocery store, you know, you've been ordering everything and now you're um, vaccinated and you're like, oh, maybe if I go with a mask, I can at least go into the store. So it's, it's just finding those little areas that you can push a little bit of beyond your comfort zone. If you're going someplace and you're like, your hands and everything are trembling, that's way too much. For you at that moment, if your body's responding like that. But if you're going and your heart rate's just up a little bit, yeah. Absolutely. It's that journey of a thousand miles that begins with one step, right? Yes. And we do want to see that kind of consistent growth over time. And I feel like a lot of people 
do kind of enter into counseling relationships like with really high expectations, particularly because we we live in kind of like an instant gratification society. Like we all want that pill to make us immediately feel better. And just tell our listeners a little bit about like how effective is counseling to you in general? What expectations should a person have on like the amount of time that it takes to like deal with the depression and anxiety, for example, that's coming up during this pandemic? Okay. So counseling, some people look at it as, oh my gosh, I'm going to go tell a stranger and they're going to give me all the, the advice. Okay. Yes. And that's not really what counseling is really about. Counseling is really about helping you find the answers within. Okay. So it's about bringing insight. So the counselor um, is very usually good at understanding the process, but you provide the data and the information and we help you walk through that process. So it's how much you put in is what you're going to get out. That's number one. Number two, of course, with counseling, you've got to find someone that you can relate to. I mean, there's a variety of different therapists. I'm not for everyone and no, it's no one. So you've got to find a therapist. I mean, there's some that are funny. There's some that are very serious. There's some that talks more. <laughs> there's some that just listen. You know, we all come from different um, backgrounds. Yes, yes. I'm a cognitive behavior, so I'm more into how the thoughts that cause you how, how to feel. But when you go, it is a process. So that first, you know, one or two sessions, maybe even three, it's really about building rapport. So if you're coming in and let's say you have a uh, a very serious problem that, that you think it's serious <laughs> and um, you're afraid to tell your counselor and you just decide to tell them something smaller, that's okay because we know that. We know that when people fill out the information um, and they let us know what they're coming in, that sometimes that's just the small problem versus the big problem because it's about building trust. And so that's what the first few sessions are about and then getting into some work. Yeah, it does take a while to build trust. Right. And I'm curious how that also happens in like couples counseling. I'm thinking about a story I read with a, some couples counselor where like they were trying to dig into kind of this the sexual dysfunction the the couple was having. Many sessions go by and then like they're talking about kind of like service level issues and they're, they're trying to figure it out. And then it took many sessions for like one of the members to reveal that they had basically like a porn addiction and all their energy was going like to their devices and computers and none of it was coming to the relationship. But it took a while to get there. You know, they're kind of hoping like, oh, I hope this secret doesn't come out. So how does it change when you have like two parties and one might not be willing to like reveal certain deep vulnerabilities that they have in, in the session? Yeah, now it's actually when I was saying this whole process, I was thinking about sex addiction, how people come in saying, you know, one thing, but really it's a, an addiction of some sort. So with couples therapy, um, what I personally do and what I um, help my um, counselors underneath do also, I meet with the couple at first and prior to meeting with them, they each get intake paperwork where they can put in their own stuff. But then I meet with them and then after I meet with them, then I meet with each of them individually to understand their backstory. So this helps, gives them a little bit of um, comfort and sometimes bringing stuff up and how we bring it into couples counseling. You know, so sometimes they may share something in an individual session that will get brought up in couples therapy, um, but the individual session is a little bit safer. As a couples counselor, I'm not a believer of secrets. So you can't tell me like in the 
the individual that you had an affair and don't expect that it's going to be brought up, you know, later on, of course. But when you do it that way and you have some individual sessions, the counselor can help you learn how to bring it up and talk to your partner about it. Because in all honesty, with couples counseling, it's really about helping the couple understand each other and hear each other and get connected because each couple flows a little different. So it's not about the counselor saying, you know, this is definitely the way you should do things, but it's about the couple finding their way and learning how to compromise and hear one another. However, it is a process. And in that process, I do want to say that sometimes, even in individual counseling, when you start to open up emotions, you become a little bit more vulnerable. And sometimes you may feel different inside, but that's okay. It may feel a little scary, but you're not going to be there you know, for the rest of your life. Sometimes you have to open up stuff to heal it, to get that peace. I love that. You have to open up to heal it. And you mentioned earlier, like you're not a believer in secrets. And I'm curious about every relationship is kind of this balance of connection and independence. Like you're your own person and you're also in relationship. So I'm wondering about that balance between like hiding things and just having one's own private life. I'm even thinking about two friends of mine who are they're in a couple in a relationship. And then one was texting his ex. And then the girlfriend found out and was was really hurt and surprised and really, really jealous. And she's like, why didn't you tell me? And he's like, well, I'm not going to tell you, like, I don't tell you every single person I text all the time, right? Like there are independent things that we do in our own lives. And then we also might just want to have private conversations with people in our lives. So when does our desires for independence, privacy in our own lives become kind of like hiding and betrayal and secrets that create disconnection and walls in our relationship? Okay. A great question. It is true that we do need to have some independence. Okay. Because if a couple is always together and does everything together, there's no air. And if there's no air, there's no passion. Then the second part is each couple has a underlining contract. There's a contract, there's an agreement. And you, um, whether you've explicitly stated the agreement or inexplicitly, there is an agreement. It is good if you explicitly get to talk about what that agreement is. And so when you're doing something that breaks that agreement, whether it's for some couples, me talking with an ex or, or, or a female or I mean, or male or whatever, it doesn't bother. For other couples, there is, that is a, a breakthrough. Um, and those things that when it becomes a problem, um, sometimes it's not necessarily just the talking to the, to the person that, that you may be interested in. It's many times, sometimes this leads to what we call emotional affairs. And what that means is that I have this other person that I talk to, and when something bad happens, good happens, unexpected, I go to this other person before I come to my partner. And that's what we call like an emotional affair. Okay, so what if you're in a situation and like you said, you text this person and then all of a sudden your partner is upset about it. Oh, they find out. That is a good time to start to talk about boundaries and what do you expect from me and what do I expect from the partner? If you've been together five, 10 years, you should already kind of know a little bit about this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But if it's, and also in that um, scenario, it's about um, time length also. But if you're, you know, six months in, you may not have known. And that's also, you know, a 
whether that's a red flag for you or not on either end. Do I want someone where I can always check their phone and my phones? Or do I want someone who can just trust me, trust that I make a good decision? In all honesty, you cannot stop someone from cheating. No? What you, no, you cannot. No matter you do all these, you know, do, I don't know, see where they're located, check their phones. You cannot stop someone from cheating. In the end, what you want is that if there's a room full of people, your partner chooses you. So it's not to get rid of every, everybody in the world, but you want your partner to choose you. And that's what we focus on in creating an intimate connection and improving it. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. You know, I was even recently thinking about that phrase, good fences make good neighbors. And I was thinking like, indeed, in relationships, although we are seeking connection, seeking intimacy, having boundaries can also really improve the relationship. Of course, of course. Boundaries are something some of us were able to understand them early in childhood or were taught them. Others were not. But when you have boundaries, first thing, it also goes back to that self-intimacy that I talked about earlier. It makes you feel that you're worth it. Because if we love others more than we love ourselves, that's not a good thing. Because then we're putting ourselves last and people treat us how we treat ourselves and then that'd be last. So we have to have boundaries. Healthy boundaries are wonderful. Absolutely. And I wouldn't mind shifting topics just a little bit because I'm so curious and it's come up a lot on the podcast. I want to make a podcast about love and it really turned into an amazing like interreligious dialogue. You've had Buddhist teachers come on and Christian teachers come on and you yourself are a woman of faith. And I'm curious about the connection that you see between love and God. Yeah. So I think God provided that unconditional love for us that we should definitely do our best to show to our partners and to ourselves. So what I see a lot sometimes is that second commandment, love thy neighbor as thyself that many of us don't love ourselves. And when we start to learn to love ourselves and treat ourselves like we treat our neighbors, then we have these healthy boundaries and we're able to give and receive and not be so, sometimes it's hard for us to give or receive when we've been hurt. So I'm curious, because you mentioned this unconditional love and then mentioned boundaries. So I kind of have two questions. First of all, when you say God provided us this unconditional love, would you say that there is an unconditional love inside of us? And then by getting in touch with it, we get in touch with God? And right. Then yeah. And then we feel, we feel safe. And if we feel safe, then we can give that unconditional love in the sense of my partner did something, but it wasn't him or her's intention to hurt me. So how does that unconditional love tie into something like a boundary or basically all the conditions we kind of put on our partner in order to love them? We don't say, I'm going to love you even if you hurt me, even if you betray me, even if you, some people even like, I asked you to load the dishwasher and sweep the floor and then you didn't and the house is a mess and I don't even know if I love you anymore. Like we have sort of like <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> desires that we want to get fulfilled and that's why we're in a relationship. So how does that tie into this idea of unconditional love? Yes, it's about looking at a person's intent and not always thinking that they're trying to hurt me and also being able to love ourselves. So if you're thinking you're just a doormat and you take the abuse, that means you're not also loving yourself. So that's 
in the sense of that unconditional love for yourself. So you have to have it for yourself and for for others. However, if someone's being abusive to you, then that's not a relationship that you need to be in. Absolutely. I think that's a really powerful message around self-love is that it really affirms that we deserve happiness and Mm -hmm. we're not going to be in a relationship that doesn't align with our own care for ourselves. Right, right. And it's not your partner's job. Sometimes we think it's our partner's job to totally uplift us and to make us feel, you know, worth everything in the world. That's your job. You're putting way too much on your partner. And finding that love for yourself sometimes requires, whether you call it God or Buddha, is listening to that inner spirit that's inside of all of us. We just call it different names. And what do you call the inner spirit inside of us? I call it the Holy Spirit, which is, you know, I'm Christian, so it's, um, and that. But I do believe that all of us have it, and we just call it different names according to the culture and times and everything that we've been taught. So... Let's move on to today's topic, which is intimacy, specifically bringing intimacy back. We're not bringing sexy back, but kind of wanted to, but we'll bring an intimacy back. So really my first question is, well, if we're bringing it back, it must have gone somewhere. So where did intimacy go? I think, and this is even before the um, pandemic, of course, I think intimacy went out the door in a lot of us because of busyness and technology. And maybe for some of us, even just being very um, selfish or um, just not having a good relationship with ourselves or with others. And what I mean by technology or busyness, that we've just gotten so busy in this world, that we're very rarely calling people, talking to people one-on-one. Sometimes it's just this quick text or emoji (laughs) or social media. Yeah. And so... And we do have to do some of that in business, of course, and stuff. But when you start doing that so much in your relationship, it doesn't feel intimate. And you need that close intimacy for wonderful, I believe, in the sense of sex or being or feeling sexy, because then you feel a connection just doesn't feel like anything. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, all the social science studies looking at how our social connection has changed over the years show that with each subsequent generation, we're more isolated than the previous one. We go out less, we have face-to-face conversations less, we have community groups less. And indeed, that connection also manifests in our relationships where we spend more time staring at that little rectangle, whether it's our TV or the laptop or the phone, way more than we do look into our partner's eyes. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so that's what I've seen in the sense of couples and even um, individuals and connecting with their loved ones and friends and children. It's the connection is is going bye bye. All right. We got to bring it back. (laughs) Yes. So let's talk about intimacy because I often really love this phrase that intimacy is into me see, like it's literally seeing into somebody and seeing their heart and seeing their soul. But what does intimacy mean to you? So when you have an intimate connection with someone, that means that you both are there physically, mentally, spiritually, you're in the same dimension and you're connecting. You you understand that you're touching a person's heart without even really physically touching it. It's just the hearts are there together. And that doesn't happen many times. Many times their body's there, but you may be talking to someone and your mind is somewhere else. 
and you're thinking about something else. So in this right here, like me focusing on you, it's an intimate conversation right now. I love that. I love both your definitions. Like the first definition, very straightforward, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual connection. And then you summed it all up in just four words, touching a person's heart. I love both those sentiments. Where do you believe intimacy really starts and builds in a relationship? Starts, of course, with the self-intimacy, you know, knowing and loving yourself. I do also think um, having spiritual intimacy does also help in that aspect. And then the other part is actually spending time with a person, communicating, you know, having touch. I mean, there's a lot of different forms of intimacy, okay? So there's, of course, that touch, which is very wonderful. For many of us, intellectual intimacy, which means our minds are together and they're being stimulated. Sharing beauty, whether it's the beauty of our bodies or the beauties of going outside and seeing us beautiful sunshine or beautiful uh, waves of the water, working closely together, laughing humor. It's another great form of intimacy. Absolutely. So what are some other ways that we can spice up intimacy? Because a lot of people, I appreciate your emphasis on physical, emotional, spiritual, and intellectual, because a lot of people do just think that intimacy means physical intimacy and often just use it as code word for sex. Or they think that if their sex is lacking, then they're not going to feel connected to their partner. So what are some ways that we can continue to build intimacy, particularly when it's lacking? So when we talk about sexual intimacy, when I said before about the self part, if you love and understand your body and are comfortable in your own skin, so I'm comfortable being naked, I'm comfortable feeling all the feelings and I know what arouses and desires me, okay? Then you have that spiritual aspect where you understand that sex is good. Sex is for pleasure. God created sex. You know, he wants it for you. So it's not like, you know, you feel guilty or whatever. <laughs> and then going to your partner. So you feel secure. You're, you know, powerful or empowered in your body. Then what you can give that unconditional love we talked about, touching, caressing, and not really like, well, what are you doing for me? And then if your partner has that same strong thing that they're feeling confident. Do you know how powerful that is in the sense of two people feeling very confident about their love for themselves and for each other and, you know, for their spirit within and being able to play? So when it comes to intimacy or sex, I look at it as play, okay? That we're out in, we're out in a playground and we're playing. And if you remember as a child, when you play, you use your creative mind, you just lost your, yourself and you're just having fun. You're not thinking about what's going to happen next. And if you look at it that way, it's you have much more um, powerful orgasms and other kind of aspects versus just focusing on, on the orgasms or on the methods. Let's just play. Let's lose our creative self and just play like innocent children, exploring one another physically, mentally, and spiritually. So I love everything that you're saying. It's very encouraging. It's very affirming of sex for pleasure, that our bodies are vehicles to experience pleasure. And 
sex is a really awesome way to cultivate physical connection to our partners. But I just have to ask you because I feel like all of that runs quite contrary to the common Christian narrative that tends to be really sex negative and says like the only good sex is in the missionary position when you're married for the right for the pure purpose of, of <laughs> procreation and don't even get me started about masturbation right, <laughs> right, so, right. <laughs> so how do you reconcile these things are you saying like all those people they don't know what they're talking about or how do you reconcile you know what the modern christian narrative about sex is with your own sex positive views Okay, so I'm a believer. I don't put my values on other people, okay? So these are my my beliefs, okay? So I do have others who believe other aspects, which is fine if that's, that's what you believe. But I believe that God is a loving God, and I know he created sex, number one, okay? Number two, every, and I don't mean that we have to be man and woman, okay? But not every man and woman that hooks up together can have children. So- he couldn't just create sex just so every time you're supposed to produce a kid popping out because that's not. <laughs> and, you know, um, kids are great and they're miracles when they do happen. So that's in that aspect. And in the sense of whether we like boys or girls or, you know, um, a variety of different things, God knows who we are inside. He created us. And if we go around thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm just this and that and because I, you know, love an alternate lifestyle. That's not how he, he wants. He wants us to love others as ourselves. And he created that temple and that body for pleasure. So that's how I look at it. And in all honesty, when it comes to um, my topic of bringing intimacy back, it was something that he put on my heart for me to start talking about it. And because many of us go and have these negative connotations about sex, and sometimes this has impact our marriages as whether we are married <laughs> any kind of way, but we don't like enjoy sex because we're like, oh my gosh, I'm not supposed to enjoy it. It's nasty. It's negative. That's not what it, it's created for. And you see how our body responds when we have sex and when it's really good for many of us can have orgasms and all that, but we have a release. Our endorphins increase. We have a sense of calm and peace. We're not as anxious. And that's a good thing for our body. Thank you so much. I just It's just so affirming to hear that from you, to hear that you believe God is a loving God. He loves us. He created us. He created sex and he created this body as a temple. And we can experience pleasure without the guilt and shame that many people want to put on us. Right, exactly. Beautiful. Thank you so much for that. And I want to go back to, because I feel like we keep coming back to this idea of self-intimacy, being comfortable with ourselves. Earlier, you mentioned that if you love and understand your body and are comfortable in your skin, it will really improve intimacy also in your, in your relationship. So let's combine that with this idea that you said that intimacy is connection on a mental, emotional, and spiritual levels. So how do we create more self-intimacy? How do we cultivate it? What are some practices and things that we can do to increase the love and understanding and comfortability of being in our own skin? Well, the first thing is um, loving your body. The second thing is knowing that it's okay to touch your body. That's okay. And it's okay to know how you get aroused. That's, that's good. In fact, that helps, you know, um, we expect our partner to know our body and know what makes us turn on and that kind of stuff. But 
it's really your job to know and to, you know, help inform your partner. So that is, and, and I think it's important to even teach our young people that because we get this bad notation, and I know you mentioned masturbation, that all that is just wrong and evil and whatever the case may be. But just how we learn what we like to eat and we learn a variety of different things of our own, you know, the inside of our body, the same thing about learning about touch and what feels good. So that's one part of self-intimacy. The next part is, of course, um, if you're single or even if you're in a relationship, is is taking yourself out for dates and for honoring you because that that helps. If you honor yourself, then that helps your partner be able to honor you. And knowing your, um, I know you've done probably five love languages and all that, but knowing that definitely helps. Yeah, I mean, it really sounds like you're describing like just as we are in a relationship with somebody, we give somebody gifts and appreciation and we go on dates and, and we make love to them. As I feel like you're recommending like turning all that around and give it to ourselves, take ourselves on dates, pleasure ourselves and take care of ourselves when we need it. Right, because then if you're able to do that for you, do you know how much more confident you are when you when you do it for a partner or when a partner does it for you? Absolutely. And it's crazy because I recently finished this mindful self-compassion training. And when you earlier, you mentioned to know that it's okay to touch your body. And it was kind of in a reference to like, you know, physical pleasure and masturbation. But in the course, one of the exercises that we did was we put our own hand on our own heart. And it was just like, it's okay. I'm here for you. And even at that time, it still felt, you know, almost like selfish or indulgent just to like, or even like vulnerable to put our own hands on our own heart and to give ourselves that like appreciation that we want. So I'm curious about the obstacles. I can see some obstacles of self-love being it seems selfish, it seems narcissistic to be so focused on ourselves. And I'm also wondering, what are some of the biggest obstacles that you see in intimacy with another and then also with ourselves. Okay. In the sense of being narcissistic or selfish, when someone is narcissistic, that means they cannot put themselves in other people's shoes. And when you're selfish, that means you put your needs above everybody else's. And what I'm just talking about is putting your needs as equal as everyone else. So some of the obstacles, of course, is that train of thought, okay, is um, one of the obstacles. Um, some of the obstacles in the sense of intimacy with self and with a partner is, of course, um, our busy schedules, not setting time aside, not thinking our partner is worth the time, or maybe they're worth the time, but I've got to run and, and take care of this business thing, or I'm chasing the dollar here, or I'm doing so much for other people that I don't have time for myself. So, In some of these things, one of the things you can do is set time aside. Set time aside for yourself, for self-care. And even if you're in a relationship, whether it's five years, 20 years, or six months, set time to have a date. And you may think, well, we have date, we eat dinner every night together. That doesn't necessarily mean that's a date. You know, when you're dating or you're taking yourself out on a date, you're not thinking about problems or talking about bills or children or a variety of things. You're actually enjoying the moment. The other thing is being open to be creative and not doing the same old things over and over. So I know when you talked about spicing up the relationship, 
or spicing up intimacy. All of us know that if we go to work nine to five every day, it can become a routine that it's like, uh, when something's a routine, you don't even remember how you drove to work that day because you just, you know, been driving that same road. So if you learn how to spice things up, do things differently, it helps you bring in more awareness and more mindfulness of, you know, something's different. So that's whether you bring in um, smells, different smells, candles, a variety of stuff, or you bring in, you know, something, um, I don't know, blindfolds, so that when you're um, intimate, that you're maybe not using your eyes, but you're, all the other senses are going to um, heighten because your eyes are closed or whatever. I mean, that's just something else. <laughs> whether you're doing whips, chains, or, <laughs> you know... <laughs> You know, a simple vibrator, doesn't matter. Yeah, just bringing the different or lotions or even just changing the atmosphere. I mean, yeah, besides that, I mean, I've known couples that who have only, only, only have had sex in the bedroom. You know, what about on the couch? <laughs> yeah, just doing something different. Absolutely. I mean, I remember one of the best pieces of advice I heard a while ago is like, you want to both incorporate scheduled time with your partner, a monthly or a weekly date night where you intentionally cultivate connection and also intentionally bring spontaneity in your life. New surprises, new experiences, that novelty just really helps to bring adventure and excitement and passion to the relationship. Right, exactly. So thank you so much, Dr. Brown, for coming on to the show and sharing us with all your wisdom and your wealth of experience. It's truly wonderful. And I want to finish by asking you a question I love to ask all of my guests, which is quite simply, what do you wish everyone knew about love? Ah, that it's easy to attain. And I know many people out there looking for love. And if first, in all honesty, starts with loving yourself. Once you're able to definitely, truly love yourself, that opens up the doors of feeling love from the higher power, from others, your partner. So it starts there. But I want you to know that each person is worthy of love. There's nothing that says that you're not worthy of love. You are. Yes, everybody is worthy of love. Everyone listening, you are worthy of love. Yes. Thank you so much, Dr. Brown, for your really wise and also really encouraging and affirming views on love and pleasure and connection and intimacy. And for our listeners who want to learn more about you and work with you, how can they find you? Okay, so I have a website that's easy to remember, www.draprilbrown.com, which is dr. A-P-R-I-L-B-R-O-W-N.com, just like that. And on the website, you can find information about my counseling services, my podcast called Bringing Intimacy Back, and um, the book that I have, I have a new ebook out there on Amazon called Improving Intimacy. And if you're out there and you're like, wow, I really would like as a couple to become more intimate, I do have a new product service called Vacation Counseling, which you can come here in Southwest Florida. You could take a vacation with your partner and learn how to, of course, increase the intimacy between you guys through communication, sex, emotional stuff. So yes, just check us out. It's a couple's retreat. And thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you. So when September, October, November rolls around, the snow starts coming, have that intimacy vacation in Florida. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Amazing. Yes. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Brown, for coming on to the show. And thank you, listeners, for listening to the show. We hope you take home so many valuable lessons from today, including recognizing that intimacy exists on physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual dimensions. And it's also just a matter of touching a person's heart. And unconditional love for others includes yourself. So putting your needs on the same level as other people's. Remember, God is a love. God. He created sex in your body for pleasure. And each person, including you, is worthy of love. If you want to learn more about me, you can go to zachbeach.com and learn more about the show at theheartcenter.com. Thanks again, Dr. Brown. Thank you so much for having me in the show. Loved it. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to ZachBeach.com or TheHeartCenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 